Amen. Well, we're coming to the climactic ending of the book of Revelation. The Bible began with Genesis and the beginning of all things. Revelation, the end of all things. As we have known them. But then it paves the way for a brand new world. And we're looking forward to that brand new world. This one is going to go away one day. And all the evil works in it are going to be burned up, which they deserve to be. Amen? And uh, so, tonight we're going to talk about the mother of all wars, Armageddon. You've got to deal with Armageddon at the end of the book of Revelation, because this is the last of the wars of the earth, and it is easily the worst. You think World War I, World War II, Korean War, whichever war you want to pick, um, they were horrible, terrible. I would not diminish any of them. But this one, Jesus said, if it's not ended, no flesh will be saved. At least in the two world wars, we had the homeland. We weren't touched. But the one that's coming, if Jesus didn't end it by his return, hallelujah, then all flesh would die. Very sobering thought. So we're going to pray today, and then we're going to get right into Revelations 19. I'm going to be also getting into Revelations 20, which only leaves us two chapters after that. So we're almost done. But now we're getting out of the rough stuff after tonight and getting into the good stuff, except for the great white throne judgment. Oh boy. Scariest verses in the Bible for me. But I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Father, thank you for your blessing tonight. Can we breathe a prayer, dear church, and just lift your hands and say, Lord, tonight, renew my mind. Increase my expectancy in the coming of my Lord. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the King. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, Jesus is coming soon. You can be seated. Well, I did uh, To Every Man an Answer tonight. Anybody in here hear it? Oh, a lot of you heard it. Wow. Okay. Maybe I'll do it again. Uh, it was a good one tonight. We had some, some good questions from around the country. Pretty amazing. I sit at my little desk uh, in my house, and uh, I have three computers. I have one to look information up. I have another one so that I can see at least six callers, where they're calling from, and what their question is. And they could call from all over the United States. The other one is a default computer, unless in case one of those fails, I can fire it up. But um, it's amazing, that sitting there, and there's a camera on me. We got a camera on me, and um, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, and I do it uh, with a host, or sometimes I host, and I have a co-host. But literally, at the push of a button, folks, I'm talking to the whole country. Just like that. Seriously. In every time zone, we get calls from Hawaii. I keep trying to get them to invite me to preach, right? We get calls from Hawaii. We get calls from the Northeast. Every time zone, every state, they call in. Uh, I, if there's ever a time we need to understand the Word of God, it's now. We need the Word of God now. That's why we teach books on Wednesday night. Whole Bible books, not a few pet verses that you beat to death. But we're going through whole books. We want you to know the whole counsel of God. Now, last time, 
We close with the literal, personal, visible, physical, and spiritual return of the same Jesus who ascended up into heaven in Acts 1.11. Amen. Same way he went up, he's coming back. Now, Revelations 19, starting at verse 11. Let's see what John writes. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Now here comes the return of Christ. Its rider was named Faithful and True. Who could that be? Right? For he judges fairly and he wages a righteous war. I love this. His eyes were flames of fire. On his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the Word of God. So we go right to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word was God. The Logos, the Word, was Theos, God. So it's telling us Jesus was not less than God. Uh, I had somebody tell me recently, it's sad. Because I've known him a long time. And they just let me know, I, I just don't believe in the deity of Christ. Folks, I know I say this to you a lot, and I'm not trying to be a downer, I'm really not. But the Bible predicts an apostasy. A departure from the faith in the last days. The people that used to say, oh yeah, I'm all in, Jesus, this, that, and the other, hallelujah, glory to God, kumbaya. But they get to a point, something happens, and they throw basic biblical truth away. If you get rid of the deity of Christ, what do you have? You've got another gospel. That's not the gospel. Because in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with Theos, God. And the Logos was Theos, God. All right? God the Son. So it's very sad to hear. But anyway, I've, I've learned when I see these things happening, I know that my Bible told me they would. The Bible is my anchor. So I'm teaching you. If you come to this church, I'm going to teach you the, the centuries-old orthodoxies of the church. That meaning the foundational truths of Scripture. I'm, I'm going to tell you, the Bible is the Word of God. It's not a book with some words of God in it. It's the Word of God. From stem to stern, Genesis to Revelation. I'm going to tell you Jesus was God in flesh. I'm going to tell you He died on the cross for your sins and that only He can forgive your sins and deliver you from hell and escort you to heaven. There is no other way. I'm going to teach you. He's coming back someday. You can mark it down. Someday He's coming back. And so we're not going to throw these foundational anchors of the faith out. No. Uh, as a matter of fact, the rougher it gets out there, the closer I hold it. I hug it. And I just hit that mic real hard, and they had a heart attack back there. Now, here's the deal. Um, this is the event. He wore a robe dipped in blood. His blood, his title, the Word of God. So this is the event that John described at the very beginning in Revelations 1-7. You remember that? Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. 
Yes, amen. Why will the nations mourn? Because they'll see him and realize they were right. The gospel was right. And now I'm facing him in judgment, not in mercy. John's attention now turns from the vision of the mighty king of kings, followed by the heavenly, or his heavenly armies, and you're in that army, dressed in white armies of heaven, to an angel standing in the midst of the burning sun. He summons the birds of prey. This gets serious now. He summons the birds of prey. Who does? This angel, capital So when I see a capital A, I'm thinking, this is Jesus. But he summons the birds of prey and the scavengers and vultures from all over the world to gather for the supper of the great God. What does that mean? Let's read it, verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared for you. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, strong warriors, horses and their riders, and of all humanity. Catch that? All of humanity. Free and slave, small and great. What are they eating? These vultures. The bodies remaining from the slaughters of the armies of the world following the horrific battle of Armageddon. That's what they're eating. I don't like vultures. I love God's creation. I love birds. When I was a little kid, I started drawing birds. I was fascinated with them. They're such amazing little creatures. But I was never drawn to vultures. How about you? They even look bad. You know, they got that crooked neck. And, you know, as soon as you start going down, they're circling over your head. They're not thinking good thoughts when they're circling over your head. You know, and and what God created them to do ain't cool, but it's necessary. When things die, something's got to get rid of them, so they do it. Better them than me, right? So they're eating millions of fallen soldiers and people that were killed in the Battle of Armageddon. And it gives us a, a, a terrible glimpse into the uh, punishment hand of God on this final generation. Now listen carefully. How is Armageddon going to happen? The Bible is going to show us that the kings of the east, now I take that to be the Orientals, uh, China, all right, uh, for instance, and combined Western forces of Antichrist, going to gather in the Valley of Megiddo, for war. Now I wanted to show you one quick map, and you'll look up there, and you see, I had marked there Megiddo. The Valley of Megiddo, I've been there, I've looked out over the Valley of Megiddo, it's a, it's a lush plain right now, it's, it's a beautiful thing to look at, but you see the Mediterranean on the left, there's the Sea of Galilee up above it to the, to the north, uh, Nazareth, uh, sort of uh, northeast, and um, then the West Bank, the infamous West Bank. You see Jerusalem way south of Megiddo. There's Israel. There's Tel Aviv. Now, where it shows Megiddo, there is a 
huge, lush valley. And the Bible says that when the War of Armageddon commences, that millions of soldiers are going to march from the east. They're going to cross the Euphrates River. And they're going to move down. They're going to meet in the valley where it says Megiddo. Um, Antichrist will have his combined forces of the West. They will commence to the same place. And there a war will begin that the Bible says the blood is as high as a horse's bridle for miles and miles and miles. It's inconceivable. And yet, if it says it, mark it down. It'll happen. So there you go. And, you know, Napoleon stood there. And Napoleon said, not knowing he's prophesying, the armies of the world could meet here and battle here. And little did he know, from your mouth to God's ears, because that's exactly what the Bible says. It will be a ferocious war. It will be a war. Well, let's read about it. The four angels who were bound to the Euphrates River are mentioned in Revelations 9, 13 to 16, where they have been, they are right now being held, uh, held back. They're not allowed to move yet to dry it up. But their time has come when this war commences. And they will dry up the Euphrates. This shouldn't shock us because God dried up the Red Sea. God dried up the Jordan. God will dry up this. And they will cross over. Verse 13, then the sixth angel, I'm reading Revelation 9, 13 to 16 to take you back and give you a little refresher. This angel blew his trumpet and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the golden altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. When will this happen? When the war of Armageddon commences. Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year, everybody say God's got a timing, were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on earth. I heard the sign of the army. Now here comes the kings of the east. 200 million mounted troops. This massive army of 200 million men out of the east, along with the combined forces of Antichrist in the west, will be right on the verge of annihilating the human race when the trumpet blows and Christ comes back in the second advent. Jesus warned in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 24, 21, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world till now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, nobody would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. How will those days be cut short? By the sudden appearance of Jesus Christ. Now, here's where we're going to see how crazy the world has gone. How many of you think the world's kind of crazy right now? I feel like I'm in a lunatic asylum half the time. No, two-thirds, no, three-quarters of the time. How about all the time? We're in a lunatic asylum. 
Good is bad, bad is good, right is wrong, wrong is right. Uh, We can't think clear anymore. That is the lost. Many, many, a huge swath of Americans, I believe, have been turned over to a reprobate mind. According to Romans 1. Boy, that's a teaching. I could go into that without even having to read it because I read it so much. Because Romans 1 is like the newspaper. It's amazing. But you talk about crazy now? Get this. When Christ appears, behold, every eye will see him. Those that pierced him. What do Antichrist and his forces and the kings of the east, and therefore, what do they do? They join together to fight the returning Messiah. Now, if I see somebody coming in the clouds, I ain't fighting them. Come on, everybody. If I see somebody descending from heaven in the clouds, I am on my face. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. But not these people. No, no, look. Verse 19, Revelation 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. That's insane. So clearly they will be insane. King David prophesied about this all the way back in Psalms 2. Starting at verse 1, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, get this, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us break their bands in pieces and cast away their cords from us. In other words, we don't want them ruling over us. I don't want the Lord ruling over me. Get off my back. Get out of my life. I'm going to break your bands off of me. I'm going to cast your cords off of me. I don't want you cramping my style. I want to live the way I want. But look what verse 4 says. He who sits in the heavens shall have a good laugh. The Lord will hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure and fury. In other words, it won't go well for them when they decide to fight the Lord. The returning Lord quickly deals with them. Verse 20, the beast was captured. That's the Antichrist. And with him, the prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. He was captured. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast. And who worship the statue. I've told you, Antichrist, political leader. The false prophet, a spiritual leader. This false prophet is going to be allowed by God to demonically perform miracles. And he will call fire down out of heaven like Elijah. But it's going to be fake, phony, satanic. But it will be a way that he deceives the citizens of the world by doing miracles in the name of the Antichrist. Really, you're seeing here a total counterfeit. Antichrist taking Christ's place and this false prophet taking John the Baptist's place. He points to Antichrist and he does miracles. But look what the Bible says. 
the beast and his false prophet thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, this is telling us the Antichrist and the false prophet are the very first human beings to ever enter the lake of fire. Lake of fire is not functional right now. The lake of fire is there. We got a call tonight on the radio. Where is hell? Is hell a real physical place? And I believe it is. I'll tell you why. Heaven's a real physical place. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, adorned as a bride for her husband, that we're all going to occupy who know Christ. That's a real physical place. So I have to believe that hell is physical. Now, where is it? I don't know. The Bible often talks about it being in the heart of the earth. The Bible always refers to it as down, not up. Heaven is always up in the Bible, and hell is always down. North. Heaven is south. That's why I live in the south. You don't want to live in the north. Anyway, cheap joke. I'm just, so, but here's the deal. I do believe it's real. I believe it's a real place. Um, where is it? I don't know if it's in the heart of the earth. I don't know where it is. But it's there. And if you think Jesus didn't talk about hell, about to read it. Look what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. Then the man of lawlessness, Antichrist, will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth, and destroy him by the splendor of what, everybody? Say it with me. His coming. So Antichrist is going to see him in the clouds, decide to fight him, and next thing he knows, he's toast. It's over. And they go to the lake of fire. Nothing is in the lake of fire right now. Well, where are people who are lost? Where are they? They're in Hades. They're in Hades the place Jesus talked about, which is like a spiritual waiting room for those who are going to be judged at the great white throne judgment and will face eternal death. They're in Haiti. The rich man went there. Please put some water on my tongue. Please let me go and warn my brothers who are still on the earth about this terrible place. And Jesus paints this picture. But it's high days. In the, in the Greek language, it's not the lake of fire. The lake of fire is reserved for the end of the tribulation period. And the first ones thrown into it will be Antichrist and the false prophet. The Lord Jesus, no longer the gentle lamb, now appears as the Lion of Judah, and he quickly disposes of the rest of the massive end-time army. Verse 21, Their entire army was killed, says John, by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. What's the sword that comes out of his mouth? His word. He will speak and it will be done. And the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies. I'm just reading the Bible. I know that's gross, but that's what it says. And it's here that the final chapter of mankind's bloody history comes to a close. A new era is about to dawn. Can everybody say amen?
The Lord's going to rule the earth. What an incredible vision of hope for a new day. Amen? As we're about to see, Satan's day is coming. Now, it's one thing Antichrist and false prophet to go in, but I'm going to watch Split Hoof go in. That is the devil. Because he's being sent to the lake of fire as well. Amen. When Jesus appears to bring an end to the war of Armageddon, watch this, there's going to be a worldwide judgment called the judgment of the nations. This is not the great white throne judgment. This precedes it. Jesus spoke of this judgment of nations in Matthew 25, 31 to 46. He used the illustration of sheep and goats. The sheep represent the righteous saved, and the goats represent the lost in Christ's illustration. And this distinction made between the two is in how they treated the needy, which Jesus presents as a way to authenticate their salvation. He's not telling us that their good works saved them, but that their good works attested to their salvation. The Bible never envisions a saved bench warmer that never gets involved in any kind of righteous works, good works. No. The Bible doesn't see it. Okay? So Jesus is about to tell us or, or show us how God is going to address the sheep and the goats. When he, Jesus, finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place uh, on his glorious throne. This is Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Verse 32. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep at his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you are blessed of my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. Here's why I was hungry. You fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering in the cold and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. You know what he's describing here? What the Bible calls good work. These are works not done in your name or mine, but we do them in the name of Christ. And as extensions of his love for these people. Okay? So he he just gave us a great example of what a good work is. Okay? Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and clothed you? And when did we ever see you sick? You've never been sick or in prison. You haven't been in prison. How did we come to you that way? King will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. That's why every day our church feeds thousands of children in three different major missionary outreaches in Haiti, Africa, and India. We give over 10% to missions. We're feeding these little children. We're not doing it in the name of Turning Point. 
No, we're doing it in the name of Jesus here because you don't have any food. We're feeding you. It touches me. Because this is Christianity in the raw. Okay? Christianity is not about you getting rich. Come on. Christianity is about you enriching others in the name of the Lord Jesus. Right? So these good works are only proofs that they are saved. That's all Jesus is saying. Now, here we come to the goats. They didn't have any such evidence. Jesus says, it says he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. That's not very politically correct. And why? Because I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was homeless, you gave me no bed. I was shivering, you gave me no clothes. I was sick and in prison and you never visited. Those goats are going to say, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry, thirsty, homeless, shivering, sick, or in prison? And didn't help you. I'm telling you the solemn truth, Jesus said. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone, being over the Lord, that was me. Failed to do it to me. Proof you weren't saved. Did you know the vast majority of charitable giving in America and around the world comes from Christians? And guess what? I'm probably going to get in trouble for this when it goes on radio, but I've read it over and over again. It's true. You know who the chintziest people are on earth? Atheists. Yeah. They don't. And do you know why we have hospitals? Do you know why we have colleges and universities? They were all originally started by Christians. Hospitals were started by Christians. Track it in history. You'll find it. Based on the Good Samaritan principle that Jesus taught. The six Ivy League schools all started as Christian schools with Christian missions in mind. Boy, have they fallen. All right. Now, when Christ comes and the tribulation comes to its terrible close, chapter 20 reveals several things that are going to take place. So now we're jumping into 20. So hang tough with me. We've got just a little bit left. What's going to happen starting in chapter 20? Satan is bound in the abyss. Can we thank God for that? Amen. The first resurrection takes place. The millennium is ushered in. And the millennium is mentioned six times in chapter 20. Satan is loose for a brief season. I'm going to explain that. The last and final rebellion occurs. I'm going to explain that. Satan is sent to the lake of fire. And then the second resurrection and the second death. I'm going to explain all that. Verse 1 of chapter 20 opens with a special angel coming down from heaven with authorization to subdue Satan, bind him for a thousand years with a great chain, and cast him into the bottomless pit called the abyss. Remember when Jesus approached the demoniac and the demons spoke out of him and said, Have you come to cast us into the abyss before our time? Remember that? That's letting you know they knew their destiny before human beings ever did. 
They knew that this one that was about to cast them out of this man was the very one that's going to cast them into an abyss. And they were concerned about going prematurely. That was it. Okay. I saw an angel, Revelation 20, verse 1 to 3. I saw an angel descending out of heaven. He carried the key to the abyss in a chain, a huge chain. He grabbed the dragon, that old snake, the very devil, Satan himself. Chained him up for a thousand years, dumped him into the abyss. I love that verbiage. Dumped him into the abyss. Slammed it shut and sealed it tight. No more trouble out of him deceiving the nations until a thousand years are up. And after that, he's going to be let loose. Again, I'll explain that. Now, the thousand years mentioned in verse 3 have been called the millennial reign of Christ. This is going to be a glorious time when, as Isaiah describes, the wolf will live with the lamb. Everybody say, no more predatory activity. Creatures are no longer going to devour creatures to live. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the young lion and the young fat animal will lie down together. And a little boy will lead them. A little boy will lead a leopard around. Because there's no more antipathy creature between creature and human. It's gone. And I love that. Oh, I'd love to say to a leopard, come here. Come to daddy. Come here. Let me pet you, leopard. Now you run. But in the millennium, Come on, come on, let me see. Oh, those are beautiful spots. Right? Come here, lion, come here. Oh, aren't you a kingly thing? I'm so glad to meet you. Give me a paw. Right? Satan will be bound and chained in the abyss for a thousand years. All satanic activity ceases. Can you imagine that? Imagine that. All satanic activity ceases. All demon powers are removed from the earth. Now what does it mean in verse 3 when it says Satan is let loose briefly? Apparently, everybody, Satan is going to be released for a brief time at the end of the thousand years. Why? To test and attempt the descendants of the survivors of the tribulation. To see whether their allegiance during the millennium is merely outward submission to Christ's supreme rule or a heartfelt dedication to the Savior King. Let me explain quickly. I mean, two kind of human beings walk in the earth during the millennium. One kind will be the church come back with Christ at the second advent. We'll have glorified bodies. Hallelujah. Glorified bodies. Because when we get raptured up, we immediately receive a glorified body. Can't get sick, can't hurt, no pain, no diet issues. Right? Like Jesus had, we'll be able to walk through a door and then eat fish on the other side. I'm talking about a shut door. Okay? So we will be there. Now listen carefully. So during the millennium, we will not marry, or produce children. Track with me. But there's another kind of person will be there. And that's those that survive the tribulation saved. Tribulation saints. Tribulation saints won't be raptured. 
So when Jesus comes and separates the sheep from the goats, the sheep are tribulation saints. And they will go right into the millennium with Jesus ruling the world out of Jerusalem. And they will marry. And they will have children. Because they don't have the glorified bodies we do. Are you with me? I mean, I think we'll say hi when we pass them. Because we're like, I'm glorified and you're not. I, I I don't know how that'll work. But here's the deal. There'll be turn church will be on the earth, ruling with Christ. What did Jesus say? You've been faithful over little, I'm going to make you what over much? Ruler. What we rule, I don't know. But it's got to be good. Now, the tribulation saints, when Christ comes, remember, so that all flesh won't be wiped out, those tribulation saints that got saved during the tribulation will still have human bodies. And they'll enter the millennium with us. But they will reproduce. They will have children. They will marry. And those children's... No, by the way, I believe those tribulation saints will be in a totally different atmosphere. I believe they'll go back to living as long as the old patriarchs did. The ancient people at the beginning. 800 years, 900 years. Methuselah, what was it, 965? He almost made it to a millennium. I believe they'll live centuries, but they'll be different from the returned church. So they'll reproduce. So when Satan is let loose for a little while, it is to test them, not the church. Are you with me? They will be tested. And the Bible says that Satan will successfully stir up a rebellion from them. And God shuts it down. We're not there yet in the Bible, but I'm just kind of prepping you for when we get there. So two kinds of people walking around during the millennium. Those that returned as the church and those that lived through the great tribulation saved, they go into the millennium because Jesus separates them, the sheep from the goats, and they go in. Some of you have glazed over on me a little bit, but I think you're okay. All right? Because I know it's a lot. But these are questions people ask. And these are things that you do wonder. So let's move on. The thousand year millennium is mentioned six times in the first six verses. And during the millennium, Jesus Christ will rule the world out of Jerusalem. Right? Where did he ascend into heaven from? Jerusalem. So what did the angel say? The same way he went up, he's coming back. He'll rule out Jerusalem. We're almost done. One more verse. John says the resurrected saints of this age and the Old Testament saints will rule with the Savior. Revelation 24, this is my last verse. John says, I saw thrones. Those put in charge of judgment sat on the throne. I also saw, saw the souls of those beheaded because of their witness to Jesus and the word of God who refused to worship either the beast or his image and refused to take his mark on their forehead or their hand. 
So who's this talking about? Tribulation saints. Now look what it says in closing. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So there you have it. Tribulation saints enter the millennium. And the returning church, we come back with him to set up shop. Okay? Now I know that's a lot in one night. I can't wait for that to go on the radio. Um, but it's a lot of stuff, folks, I know. But in, in God's word, listen, if we live to be a thousand, we wouldn't plumb all of its depth. It's a rich word. It's a gold mine. Amen? All right. It's just two till eight. I wonder if I should take a couple of questions. Anybody have one? Oh, oh, oh. Okay, here comes some. I know I can feel it coming. Do pets go to heaven? Okay. Uh, Pastor, you spoke about uh, the abyss. You spoke about uh, Hades. And then you spoke about the lake of fire. What's the difference? In I think the, the abyss dwarf? would also be Hades. Because that's... That is a place that they are cast. Uh, the good part of Hades, because there were two compartments, where Abraham and all the Old Testament saints were, when they died, they went to the good part of Hades. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he emptied out the good part of Hades and took them into heaven. The bad part of Hades is still there. So the best I can see is called the bottomless pit, so on and so forth. There's different descriptives for hell. Uh, Hades throughout this, the Bible, and that may very well just be another descriptive of the very same place, Hades. Uh, and they were terrified to go there. And so it's a bad place. Does that help? Yeah. Okay. Yes. I had this question. Uh, you know, when we're Christians and we pass away, you know, absent from the body, we're with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Okay. You have the uh, tribulation saints. You have the raptured saints that are all going to be together. Mm -hmm. What happens if these tribulation saints live to be 700 years old and then pass away? Will they not pass away? And where will they go? Well, now the last verse we just read said they will rule with Christ for a thousand years. Now that gives me an idea that they live a really, really, really long time right down to the end of the millennium. And um, later, when we get to first resurrection, second resurrection, and things it's going to mention in the next two chapters, uh, we'll get into that a little more deeply. But um, from what I can, to, to me, as I read it, like the final verse we just did, it seems to intimate they live the entirety of the millennium. So at the end of the millennium, comes the great white throne judgment. And that, and I don't want to jump ahead because I want to, I want to deal with that all by itself in the next week or two. But uh, after that, the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven like a bride prepared for her husband. And that is where we will all live. Now, it seems to me that at that time, those tribulation saints, they have to receive a glorified body. Or how are they going to live forever? Because flesh, the Bible says, can't inherit the kingdom of God forever. We've got to be transformed. So somewhere in there, 
It has to be. They receive a glorified body. But for the millennium, they don't. Because they marry, they're given in marriage, and they reproduce. And Jesus said that the church, that's not going to be what we're involved in. You know, so I think we'll know people in heaven. I think we'll know loved ones in heaven. But um, very different relationship. No more marriage. What it will be like, we only have glimpses of. I wish I knew. I wish I knew what somebody who is a believer, what, when they die, what they're doing in heaven until we get there. What are they doing? Are they just sitting in Jesus' lap? You know, are, are they walking up and down the streets of gold? Um, you know, are they floating around? What are they doing? I don't know. I wish I knew. But I do know this. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And if you read 1 Corinthians 15, there's your resurrection chapter. And Paul is very clear. Mortal must put on immortality. There, we must receive a glorified body to enter the eternal bliss or the eternal state. So somewhere along the way, I think at the end, they get a glorified body. That help? All right. Yes, ma'am. Okay, Pastor Jeff. I think I just that when God says that. A little closer. When he, God says that breathe into man, breath, breath, mm-hmm. and that's how he became. You know, and then he says that once they die, they go into his breath. And that's once they point. die, they do what? He take the their souls. He breathes. You know what I'm saying? I see. They go into the breath of of God. Into the. Into they go into the the presence of Christ, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But he breathed life into. Into the man. Breath of life into man. The breath of life. Uh-huh. Right. And you're saying that they're walking around in heaven, but I don't, I just don't think that. I, I think they go back into his breath until they get the body. That's just how I, that's how okay. I look at it. There's I, no verse on that, but, but I mean, we, there's a lot of things you can imagine. Um, the soul, that's where we're unique from the animals. We're eternal. I hate to say it, Spot isn't. Rover isn't. I hope that, listen, I have five dogs in the past. If I'm God, I take them to heaven. But they, they, they don't have a soul. We have a soul. Suke, it's where we get the word psychology. The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. But we also have a spirit man, pneuma, like pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. Pneuma, that's your spirit. It's your spirit that gets born again. Put it this way, it's your spirit that's dead in trespasses and sins until you're born again. And when you get born again, you have a spirit that has been made alive. It's the greatest miracle available to mankind. Okay? The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, absent from the body, your spirit goes into the presence of the Lord. Now, what it looks like, 
how it manifests if I were in heaven and looked at it? I don't know what it would look like. But your spirit goes in the presence of the Lord. Your spirit does. And so, and is with Christ. Then when the rapture happens and your body is brought out of the ground, if you have died in Christ, your spirit is rejoined with your body in the air. That's what happened with Christ. His body was in the tomb. But we know he wasn't there because he went and preached to the captives in prison, according to Peter, in Hades. He visited Hades. What did he say to the thief on the cross? Today, you're going to be with me where? In paradise. But wait, no. Your body's in the tomb because his spirit went to paradise and it also visited Hades but his body stayed in the tomb. Well, when did the two come back together? When he was raised. He's the first fruits. That means he's the first of many after him that are going to have the same experience. Our body will come out and our spirit will rejoin the body and it's a glorified body and we go be with the Lord. Okay? You answered my One question. More. You answered my question. I had the dream. I had a dream when I was like 25. And when I dreamt, it looked like everybody was in heaven and they was all caught up. And my question to you, they were not all this, we, we was all looking alike. So the spirit itself, does that transform to what you, does it transform the spirit itself? Because in my dream, we all looked alike. Oh, all looked alike? Yes, in my yeah. dream. Um, I don't know. I don't know because it doesn't tell me. I, I don't have a verse. You're all going to look alike. We will all have the same kind of glorified body. That's for sure. And I'm just hoping, seriously, I would love to be able to think and be there. No high gas prices. No travel time. Because Jesus appeared at different places at his will. A lot of these things are deep and, and they're, they're, it gives you a lot to think about. You just have to be real careful. You stay anchored in scripture. Let's stand together. Can we? Everybody say with me, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we're living in the last of the last days. And Lord, you're preparing a wonderful, wonderful, incredible world for us in glory. New Jerusalem, heaven, bliss, eternal life. Busy about the Lord's work without it being labor. Lord, we just thank you for it. And thank you, Lord, that you're keeping us. We lift our hands and just say, Lord, thank you. You're keeping me by the power of God unto that day in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise.